When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I remember after we saw Star Wars, he goes, you know, honey, I bet you could do a double lightsaber. And he would train me in martial arts with these plastic telescopic staffs in a way that were supposed to resemble a lightsaber. And it's just the irony that he was training me with these and he would come at me with double staff plastic lightsabers. And who knew that down the road, I would actually be doing this fight scene with Rosario. Maybe the force is really out there. Maybe it's real. Welcome back to a galaxy far, far away. This is Dagobah Dispatch, and we have a super fun episode for you this week. Not only will we be breaking down the latest episode of Ahsoka, but we will be joined by Morgan Elsbeth herself, Diana Lee Inosanto. We will be playing that interview with her later in the episode. But in the meantime, I'm super excited to break down this episode. I'm your host, Devin Kogan, and my usual co-host, Dalton Ross, is out this week. He is busy surfing with the space whales. But I am so excited to welcome back to the podcast my EW colleague and good friend and Lord of the Rings podcast co-host, Christian Holub. Christian, welcome. Hey, thank you, Devin. Glad to be back on Dagobah Dispatch and glad to be uh, podcasting with you again. Yeah, I mean, you've been on this pod several times now, um, but this week we're going to be talking a little bit about Ahsoka, which has just aired its third episode. It's pretty fun because we've talked a lot on the show, me and Dalton and our former co-host Lauren Morgan, about, you know, we're all... Star Wars Rebels nerds. We've seen Clone Wars. We, we're, we're deep in the trenches. And you have a little bit of a, a different background as far you're coming to Ahsoka a little bit fresher. Is that right? Yes. Um, specifically, I never watched an episode of Clone Wars, which is the series she originally comes from. Tragedy. Um, Is it, though? I lay that squarely at the feet of George Lucas and perhaps also Emperor Palpatine for the Clone Wars (laughs) being such a lose-lose fake conflict that makes no sense that I never had any interest in exploring it further. I don't know how wrong you are. But season, I know I've been hearing this from my Star Wars friends for years, and I've watched I've watched a little bit of Rebels, um, but yeah, I like to think I'm bringing a little bit of a uh, fresher perspective or or a different perspective. Um, and as I think we'll discuss, the show in some ways seems to be trying to have it both ways, and it's definitely for the fans. Like I actually just this weekend was hanging out with one of my best friends, Ryan, because he and I actually have back to back birthdays. And he and we were talking about Ahsoka and and how like he's exactly like you. He's seen all he when we were college roommates, he was watching Clone Wars all the time. And he, we were just talking about how like Ahsoka is like a show for him. Like it's it's almost kind of this victory lap for you guys who have spent so many hours watching these animated shows. And uh, and yet I think there's there's stuff there for people who don't have that backstory, too. 
Absolutely. Well, we are going to get into this episode because there's a lot of fun things to dissect. But first, we have something super fun. Last week, we introduced something new on the podcast. We set up a voicemail. So all of you at home can call and leave us a message and tell us how right or how wrong we are about all of our theories. Um, We set up a number. It's uh, 657-799-1566. And you guys delivered. You left us some really awesome messages, and we're going to play a few of those for you right now. So Sammy, our producer, is going to kick us off with one of these voicemails. Hi. So I wanted to comment on Harris contact lenses. Uh, They didn't bother me. I thought they were fine. And the being getting stabbed, it was more to her side, not her chest. But that was annoying that they did that. They should have just ended the duel with her losing the duel and instead of doing the whole her getting stabbed thing. That's all. Thank you. Incredible. I love this. So, Christian, you weren't on last week, but these were two big topics of conversation in the first two episodes. Is One, Hera's contact lenses kind of drive me nuts a little bit. I think they looked better in mm. episode three, but I was still just a little bit, they're a little too blue. Not for me. But huh. we talked a lot about the ending of episode one and Sabine getting stabbed and then just being like, sure, gonna gonna walk away. And I get yeah. it. She was stabbed in the side and it was, you know, like a kind of a clean wound and lightsabers cauterized things. But yeah, Dalton and I were a little bit like, mm, I don't know. What did you make of that moment? Yeah, I mean, as far as I remember, she doesn't walk away necessarily. Like, she does kind of fall over and, and does seem wounded. But it is one of the, and and I think we'll talk about this, just like, for me, you know, I've watched some of them, but, but Star Wars is still primarily a movies thing to me. And there's all these kind of weird things that come in when you try to do it to a TV show, especially Ahsoka, which even though it's based on all these TV shows, really reminds me a lot of Obi-Wan in that it feels like a a two-hour movie stretched out. And so that's just like a classic example of like, you want a beat to end an episode on that's like somewhat exciting or or somewhat kind of climactic or whatever um, that obviously no one believes for a second because that's like the secondary protagonist of the show. Uh, Just, you know, so those are some weird choices I think that they make when Star Wars is serialized instead of just a full experience. I mean... Star Wars does love a death fake out. It doesn't always work for me, but like they they love yeah. a death fake out. It's, yeah. you know, we we talked about Darth Maul on the last episode. I mean, the Emperor not something. intended as a death death fake out originally. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> We can't let Dave Filoni rewrite everything. (laughs) Or can we? Or can we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we are, but yeah. Um, Speaking of, I think we have another voicemail. Hello, my name is Grayson Wright. Um, I'm just calling for that Star Wars podcast. Um, There was a moment when you guys were saying that, oh, well, why did Qui-Gon die when he got stabbed and Sabine didn't die when she got stabbed? Well. It's because Darth Maul, when he smacks Qui-Gon in the face, he actually breaks his jaw and a lot of other stuff in his face. So he ends up dying from that and not just the stab wound. Uh, Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Have a good day. Thank you so much for calling in. And that's fair. I mean, I I get that it's a little bit more of a brutal battle between Qui-Gon and and Darth Maul. And... Obviously, those are the two Jedi at the and, and a Sith Lord at the height of their powers, um, which is right. very different than a you know a Sith apprentice and a very out of practice semi Jedi Padawan. Um, right, that's fair. 
You also have Qui-Gon's old, an older man, and Sabine is young and spry. Even though the canon doesn't make a lot of fuss about technological changes over time, this is happening like 20, 30 years after Qui-Gon got killed by Maul. And so like medical technology probably is a lot better. She's um, also very close to the med bay. It's very like exactly. she gets stabbed right. and then immediately Ahsoka's there. It's not there in the middle could, of yeah. like a factory with like nobody around. In the middle of a giant war elsewhere where yeah, battle droids exactly. are A planet that and, is being yeah. besieged. Yeah. The Bacta tanks were in short supply. We've talked about this on the pod, but, you know, I, I, some medical figures on, in the Star Wars galaxy are certainly more trustworthy than others. Like, let's say, like, the the droid who stitched Luke's hand back on, I would trust him more than I would trust the droid who was like, I don't know why Padme's dead. Sorry, right. she lost her right. will to live. I said this last week, I want a Grey's Anatomy in, in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I want just, like, a weird medical show where every week there's just somebody got stabbed by a lightsaber or somebody came down with a weird disease or they got lice from hanging out with too many Ewoks. Like, I, I want to watch that show. That's yeah. That's my pitch. Kathleen Kennedy, call me. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Padme, of course, which is the weirdest death in Star Wars, maybe, and and I and I have long kind of bought into the fan theory explanation that it's really kind of Palpatine killing her with the Force from afar, or like pushing that outcome, and that's whatever moon that is is like we can take it as the Star Wars equivalent of like a rural country hospital, you know, where they maybe don't have as much experience with the Force as the droids in Ahsoka do. Fair. Fair. I mean, uh, we'll allow it. <laughs> I'm wondering where we got the where the is that from like the novelization of Phantom Menace or for other canon materials? Because I mean, Maul definitely does smack him in the face with the lightsaber and that disorients him. But I had never really kind of heard that explanation as contributing to his death. It makes sense. And I think, again, it goes back to him just being an, uh, an older man. How dare you? Qui-Gon is in incredible shape. He's a he's the a Jedi. The whole point is that he's old powers. and that his time is done. <laughs> <laughs> time to pass it on to to yeah. the younger the younger figures. Well, thank you so much for calling in. And I think Sammy, we have one last voicemail. So let's hit play on that. Hey guys, it's Sam outside of Chicago. Love the pod. Listen every week. Just wanted to say, yeah, it's driving me nuts with these lightsaber impalings, and it's like a paper cut. They got to cut that crap out because it's just not going to work. And um, Clancy Brown, you missed the character he played in Star Wars. He played, of course, in The Mandalorian and in Rebels, as you said. But he also is Savage Opress, another great underutilized character in the Star Wars tradition. Maul's brother. All right. That's it. Thanks, guys. Hell yeah, we love we love somebody from Chicago. That, that yeah, that's that rocks. I'm from outside Chicago, so love to hear from a fellow uh, Chicagoland uh, resident. Yeah, but uh, agreed 100% on the lightsabers. Yep. And thank you for pointing out uh, Clancy Brown because he has a, you know, he's one of those characters. He kind of keeps popping up kind of everywhere. I love that he got this little moment in the in the first two episodes. I was delighted to see him and was pleasantly surprised by it. He's actually kind of been hopping around a little bit. He was just in John Wick 4 earlier this year. But that, uh, but of course, a lot of his career has been voice acting. So, uh, yes. you know, I was reading that this is him reprising a role that he voiced in Rebels, which totally makes sense. Uh, you know, I think, I still think probably his most prominent voice role is uh, Lex Luthor in the classic Superman the Animated Series and me and our former colleague Chancellor Agard love so much. So yeah, I love to see, I always love to see Clancy Brown. Agree. Also, SpongeBob SquarePants, he's Mr. Krabs. Oh yeah, I always forget about that. <laughs> yeah, just an iconic, an iconic voice actor who also is like a gravelly grizzled screen presence and, so and can good. totally... 
you know, bring bring that work into into live action. He's so good. And thank you for pointing out um, again. Again, I love how all of these characters kind of keep popping up. I would not be surprised if we saw some more familiar faces from Clone Wars and Rebels um, pop up in different roles. We saw that in the first um, season of The Mandalorian. We saw Matt Lanter uh, show up, who obviously voiced Anakin on The Clone Wars in, in an unrelated role. We've seen a bunch of Dave Filoni cameos. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what we we got to keep our eyes peeled going forward because I'm sure there will be more. But thank you all so much for calling in and leaving us your messages. We love to hear from you, whether that's on social media or on the voicemail or voting in our polls on Spotify. Uh, so please send us more messages. You can call the voicemail at 657-799-1566. Uh, leave us your name and and tell us your thoughts. And I also like that the number ends with 66. It's not an intentional Order 66 <laughs> reference, but I'm going to pretend that it is. Yeah, those voicemails were awesome. And I mean, this is, this, you know, as, as fans know, so much of the fun of Star Wars is talking about it, sharing it with people. So i uh, love to hear your guys' input. Absolutely. And um, so we're going to get in, into a little bit of this episode. It's episode three. It's called Time to Fly. Um, and it's pretty brief. It's only, I think, 36 mm -hmm. minutes. I don't have the runtime exactly in front of me, but it's it's one of the shorter ones, which is pretty interesting. And a lot happens in this episode. Not a ton of like big reveals or like giant plot machinations, but um, there's quite a bit that happens. Yeah, it's an action-packed episode. There's ship battles, there's lightsaber battles, there's the traveling between planets, there's even some political maneuvering. So I, I found a lot to enjoy there. And and I'm and you mentioned the runtime, somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. You know, as much as I may kind of grumble about a Star Wars story spread out to eight hours instead of two hours, I like that they're not feeling the need for every episode to hit 52 minutes or whatever, which of course has long been the promise of streaming that episodes can be any length. But I still, of course, remember the being in the trenches for the Marvel Netflix shows, which aren't mm -hmm. even on Netflix anymore. But really, we're still every episode was like 45 minutes when they really didn't need to be. So I like Filoni, who's the only credited writer on the show, as far as I know, is being like, okay, well, this episode, we're doing these action beats. And so it doesn't need to be 50 minutes long, we can get it done in uh, in 37. And maybe that also entails, you know, a lot of the because it's so action based and kind of special effects focused and stuff, maybe that contributes as well. Yeah. One thing I think we spoke about this on last week's episode, when we talked a little bit about the premiere. But one of the things I really like about this show so far is long stretches without dialogue. We get a lot of, of scenes of sort of characters by themselves, whether it's, you know, Sabine kind of hanging out with her Lothcat or Ahsoka infiltrating the Temple of the Witches of Dathomir to find the map. And, and it's just sort of her by herself. And there's long stretches of, of silence and it kind of allows the show to breathe, which is really kind of refreshing. You know, we see that a lot in the animation where, you know, these characters, it, not every single moment has to be filled with dialogue and filled with action and, and things that are happening. I mean, action's still happening, but it's it's interesting to see these characters kind of by themselves. And so that's something I really liked about this show so far. Yeah, dialogue, never a strong point of Star Wars, I would say, and, and certainly <laughs> not of this show. And so I think that's a good way to, to cut against, um, you know, having too much just boring exposition or whatever. But it also reflects the nature of this show, which unlike Clone Wars or Rebels, which were big ensemble pieces, right, with like multiple main characters who are usually interacting, like the based on the title, you know, there's more than one. It's not just Ahsoka, but it is more, you know, more narrow in scope 
than the previous uh, shows. And so that totally makes sense that, you know, we find these characters more on their own, more contemplative rather than being part of a crew that's always kind of talking amongst themselves. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have talked about this show, both fans and creators. I mean, Dave Filoni has said it, Rosario Dawson has said it. This is sort of the unofficial fifth season of Star Wars Rebels, um, just because of how much we have these characters coming back and reuniting. But it's very different than Rebels because Rebels was very much about the ghost ship crew. And there's this ensemble and they're working together and, you know, they would split off and and go on different adventures, but it was very much about this sort of central grouping. And we don't really have that so much on, um, on Ahsoka so far. Um, you know, Hera's kind of off by herself. We've got, obviously, Sabine and Ahsoka have reunited. And so the episode kind of follows Sabine as she's sort of taking her first steps into Jedi training and sort of following in the steps of Ahsoka. And it's clear that she's got her Mandalorian training. She knows her way around a weapon. She's incredibly capable, but she struggles with the Force and is very, just has very little as far as like innate connection to the force. And so we get a really great kind of training. It's not quite a training montage, but a training scene of Ahsoka teaching Sabine sort of the ins and outs of learning the force. And we get some incredible one-liners from the person who is quickly proving to be my favorite character on the show. And not just because I'm obsessed with David Tennant, but I love David Tennant's Hu Yang. This is a character who was in Rebels, and I really love how he's made the jump to live action. I love how snarky and weird he is. I love everything about him. I want him to be my best friend. He's my favorite character, hands down. Sorry, just give me a sec to pick my jaw up the floor. I'm so shocked to hear that the David Tennant character is your favorite character. That I love David Tennant? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a sec to recover from the shock of this. Oh, he's so good. It's this, you know what? This is the year of David Tennant. We've got him on Good Omens. He's coming back as Doctor Who. He's incredible. We love him. Well, if you love his voice acting so much, I will once again use my time on the show to plug DuckTales, which, like Ahsoka, is on Disney Plus. Um, the most recent Sammy, one from a couple of years just ago. Sammy, our producer, their fist. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. And David Tennant voices Scrooge on that show and is amazing. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I love a sassy droid, you know, like Tennant's performance here is is probably the closest thing I've seen in Star Wars live action to Alan Tudyk in uh, SK2SO in Rogue One. And that's a, little a bit bold Andor. take. I don't know if you know this, but Dalton is obsessed with K2SO. He thinks he's the best droid of all time and no other I droid agree. can come come close. So there you go. I'm saying he's the. This is the closest that another droid has come. But yeah, I agree with Dalton that K2SO is is definitely the high bar. So yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Tennant's performance. Of course, he just has a great voice and is really good at uh, sense of humor and sass and all those things. Great, great voice actor. So that's happening with Sabine and Ahsoka. But meanwhile, Hera is back with the New Republic, trying to basically get the New Republic to give her resources to kind of continue this hunt for Thrawn and hopefully find Ezra. And she has a meeting with some of the Chancellor and the the leading senators, one of whom is Chancellor Mothma, played by... Is this the same actress from Andor? This is Genevieve O'Reilly. So Genevieve, it's so interesting to me that this is a character who Caroline Blakiston played for, I don't know, 10 minutes in Return of the Jedi, one of the four speaking female characters in the original trilogy. Um, And I love what Genevieve O'Reilly has done with this character. She voiced her on Rebels. Um, She played her in Andor. We saw her in Rogue One. Um, She briefly appears in Revenge of the Sith, though I think ultimately she's just like in the background or her big It was supposed to be a bigger subplot about the founding of the Rebels and stuff that isn't really in the finished version. But I love seeing this character who is 
pretty minor part of Return of the Jedi, seeing what life is like after that. Because we've seen her in Andor, we see her sort of like the young upstart senator who's stored, sort of starting to dip her toes into the rebellion and sort of fund things behind the scenes. And then we see her obviously all throughout Rebels and Rogue One and Return of the Jedi as this sort of rebel leader. She's a commander during wartime. It's a very different thing. And now we get to see her. This is the latest period that we've seen her in. And here she is trying to govern this new republic as the chancellor. And it's not going great. I mean, she obviously, her heart is in the right place and she's very smart and capable and all these things. But all of these senators have different opinions and are kind of different agendas. And they're not very interested. In, they're, they're like, the war is over. We're good. We're not really going to go fight, like, go find Thrawn. We don't even think he's alive. So I thought this was a kind of a really interesting moment and sort of gets at the tension between Hera and Mothma. And also, I mean, this is something we've seen in The Mandalorian. We obviously know it from the sequel trilogy that the New Republic did not go well, which is how you got the rise of the First Order. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see sort of what comes after the battle for Endor and what comes after, you know, we blow up the Death Star and the Empire's dead, supposedly. It, it isn't dead and there's still a lot of uh, politicking to be done. Yeah, it's kind of gets at this tension, I think, in, in the Star Wars canon based on the way that um, the sequel movies went, which is like, because um, I know that a lot of people loved Andor, and I heard a lot from people who were critics of the sequel movies who really liked Andor specifically because, you know, the premise of the sequel movies, which I think I like more than uh, or I like some of them at least more than than some fans, but kind of the operating premise of them in some ways is that the rebellion was for nothing because it all it was just back to square one within you know their lifetimes within like twenty years or whatever, and shows like Andor and Rebels that are set between episodes three and four ahead of New Hope really get us back into that feeling of the original Star Wars and what's so fun about it about being these rebels on the run against this overwhelming foe. And so kind of having this direct screen connection between Andor and Ahsoka in the form of Mon Mothma character is almost kind of bittersweet because it remind you know, it reminds you that all the struggles about Andor, well, what does it all lead to? It leads to another incompetent bureaucracy that can barely, you know, and it and not only that 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 falls in within 20 years to Snoke and the villains of the sequel trilogies, but even never even finished defeating the Empire because there's just Empire people everywhere and Thrawns everywhere. And 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 they're all talking about it all the time. And so I totally sympathize with those characters who are like, wait, Return of the Jedi is over. Like the Emperor's dead. Isn't this all over? And kind of this is one of the difficulties of of Star Wars. You know, it used to be a difficulty of what we used to call the expanded universe. And now whatever we call kind of these non-movie extra stories within the universe is that the villains of the movies that we all love to hate, the Empire and the Sith and the Dark Jedi, are really, really fun. And yet, the more that you bring them up in stories that aren't the movies, the more they almost kind of like delegitimize that story a little bit. You know, you can say it expands it, but it also... Um, it's definitely disappointing, you know, for, for, and and I think it'll be interesting to see how they weave those characters, um, you know, how the characters kind of express this this frustration, which is definitely there, I think, for for fans and viewers and is an interesting connection for the show to draw. Absolutely. And as far as familiar faces go, we got Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, uh, but we also got one making his live action debut, Hera's son. 
Jason uh, Syndulla, who popped up at the end of Star Wars Rebels. He's obviously the son of Hera and Kanan Jarrus, uh, who was voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. And clearly this is, you know, the kid wants to follow in his dad's footsteps. He wants to be a Jedi. And um, Hera's like, I know you do, buddy. And I can't tell if that's a oh, I'm so proud of you. Yes, you want to be a Jedi like your dad or like, please don't become a Jedi like your dad because I've seen what that can do to a person and and I want, I love you and I want to protect you. Um, yeah. But I know a lot of people are very excited that they kept his green hair from <laughs> from Rebels. You know, he's got this fabulous dark green hair because he's a Twi'lek human hybrid, I guess. Um, yeah, you so have something in there if he doesn't gotta, have a big have tentacle a sticking hair. out of his face. Yeah, yeah and I love, that, I love that he's besties with Chopper. I also would immediately, if I was a child, <laughs> would befriend the grumpy, crotchety old droid who may or may yeah. not be a war criminal. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, exci- excited to see Jason pop up. I'm curious to see sort of how he fits into the story going forward. And yeah, we, we, we sort of end with this great big space battle as they're going to the Denob system, trying to track Morgan Elsbeth and trying to see what she's been up to. And she's been building this giant hyperdrive cannon thing to enable inner galaxy travel. Uh, so I, it's it's a fun space battle. I like getting to see sort of the back and forth between Ahsoka and Sabine. What did you make of this whole climactic finale sequence? Like I was saying, I really enjoyed how how action-packed this episode is. It kind of really reminded me of the stretch in Attack of the Clones, where uh, Obi-Wan and Jango are first kind of battling on Kamino, and then they're yes. going to this ship battle. It really kind of reminded me of that. Um, in a, in a fun way. I mean, that's one of the best parts of Attack of the Clones. Um, so a good one to rip off of. And I'll just bring up, I mean, you mentioned like Hera's son and, and things like that. That's kind of the interesting perspective I have because I've only still only seen the first season of Rebels. So I know who these characters are. Like I know who Hera is and Ezra and Kanan and Sabine, but I don't know where they end up. And I will say, and I know this comes out of Rebels, but like having one character who gets to be both a Mandalorian and a Jedi feels like cheating. <laughs> And I think in general, I mean, this kind of came up in the voicemails that we played from listeners that just there are difficulties that arise from Dave Filoni's insistence on having so many Jedi characters and so many lightsaber wielding characters. When again, I'm talking about the tension between these extra filmic stories and the films themselves. I mean, a central premise of the Skywalker saga is that there are only there is only this one or two Jedi left, even in the even in the sequels era, there's not really anybody else to speak of besides Luke and Ray. That's why a whole Star Wars movie is called The Last Jedi. <laughs> and of course, Jedi is, can be single or plural, but you know what I mean? And so when you have all these characters just like running around with lightsabers, then you end up with difficulties like the Sabine stab. Like if you're having so many lightsaber fights, then people are getting stabbed, but they can't die because they're main characters. So you're also kind of diluting the impact of lightsabers and force, which whenever they show up in Star Wars movies are a big deal. And someone is either going to die or get irrevocably maimed when lightsabers are out. And the one hand, I sympathize with this because certainly when I was a kid really loving Star Wars, I loved the Jedi to the exclusion of of all else. Like I would get so bored during ship battles. All I really cared about were lightsabers and the force. So I totally understand, but... Yeah, it just feels a little bit silly when people are when uh, five characters in an episode are all wielding lightsabers. You know, we even had the Inquisitor pop up during their raid uh, of the secret Empire loyalists who were building the engine. 
It's like, yeah, I like seeing lightsabers on screen and and Rosario is certainly really kind of nails the and her stunt women or whatever really nail the choreography of Ahsoka's two blade fighting style, which is awesome to see. But yeah, sometimes it feels like maybe a little much. Yeah, I think that's been something that we've seen over the last, certainly since the launch of Disney Plus, is a lot of people survived Order 66. I don't yeah. think the clones were that good at their job. I mean, right. there, there's a lot of, lot of Jedi who survived, which right. it always makes it me It also laugh. dilutes Vader, who was yeah. supposed to be killing them all, too. It's true. Andor is a, a great example of like how you can tell a really compelling Star Wars story without lightsabers or the Force. And even kind of the first season of The Mandalorian didn't really, it was really season two where The Mandalorian started dipping into that more. And, you know, Star Wars is supposed to be like a huge galaxy and and we love the Jedi and we love lightsabers and they're so iconic. But, and this is a story about a Jedi Ahsoka, but, you know, I don't know. It just, it gets a little unwieldy. It is kind of interesting. And and one of my biggest issues with the, with the, well, with what the, the not with the original trilogy, but sort of what the original trilogy means after the prequel trilogy is there's this idea when you watch the original trilogy that the Jedi are a myth. They're a legend. They haven't been around for right. years and years and right. years. And then you watch the prequels and you're like, oh, they were around 20 years ago. Yeah, and they 20 were years ago. Huge, fully, fully organized. You know, huge organization. It'd be like yeah. if something happened in 2003 and we were like, oh, yeah. In the distant days of 2003, no one remembers the old (laughs) days. (laughs) They have passed into legend. It's like, well, have they? I mean, okay. Um, No, but I I mean, I get it. And I, I think one of the interesting things is that you get these stories about characters like Ahsoka who walked away from the Jedi Order and saw the flaws with being part of this machine this this large organization but are still you know trained in the ways of being a jedi and are deeply connected to the force and wield a lightsaber and kind of have all of those elements and that's something that i hope the show continues to explore these people who are sort of on the fringes of being a jedi and sort of are deeply connected to the force and we've seen characters like this before you know i'm a huge fan of chirut imwe played by donnie yen in rogue one this is a character who is deeply connected to the force but is not a jedi it's a great Um, character and so I'm I'm very interested in these characters sort of on the fringes and, and not part of this general Padawan Jedi arc. And I think that's what we're seeing with Ahsoka and Sabine. You know, Sabine is very much not a traditional Jedi, but she can take elements of that. And I think that's something that's that's very interesting. But then on the flip side, you have Balin Skull and Shin Hattie, who are dark Jedi, but not Sith. So I think for a couple reasons, it's hard for me to get invested in these characters or even see them as that much of a threat. You know, we love Ray Stevenson. And of course, this is going to be one of his final performances. And it's cool seeing him glower and, and stomp around. But one of the disadvantages of having Thrawn's name and shadow hang over this whole series from the very beginning is that I don't really care about these other villain characters because I know (laughs) that they're just the minions of the real big bad anyway. And they're dark Jedi. Okay, well, they're not Sith, so they can't be that big of a deal. Like, they're not they're that mercenaries. To the dark they, side. they explain that. And Balin Skull is like, yeah, like, I, I like, I actually really like Balin as a character. He's one of my favorite characters in the show so far. I really okay. like the All idea right. Point of this. Counterpoint. Yeah, I really like Ray Stevenson's performance. And I like the way that he's, he seems very practical. He's trained in the ways of the Jedi. And he's a little bit of a romantic where he's like, oh, it would be a shame to kind of kill Ahsoka because she's. I mean, yeah, I know she's our enemy, but she's one of the last few Jedi. And and I don't know. I think you get very 
just from a couple lines of dialogue, I think you very clearly get, and from Ray Stevenson's performance, you understand who this guy is, what he's about. He's just a mercenary trying to make his way in the galaxy. And I, I don't know, I really like his performance. And I, I to me, he's one of the standouts. So I, I've, I've been a big fan of him. And I like this idea that there are these people who sort of turn to the dark side, but they're not quite Sith. And they use their abilities to become mercenaries and find their own way through the galaxy. So I, I really like Balin Skull, and I'm, I'm curious to see where he goes next. But I also want to talk about this Inquisitor character, Maroc. So we talked about this on last week's episode. I think there's going to be a big reveal that Maroc is someone important or someone we know. Because you've got this character mm. with a, he's Mask. in like head to toe leather. He's got a voice changer. You can't yeah. really tell who he is. I'm willing to put down money that they're going to reveal that he's somebody. What do you think? Do you think there's going to be a big reveal or is he just going to be like the Knights of the Ren where he's just like a cool dude in a mask that we never learned anything else about? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> hopefully not. But um, <laughs> I guess that hadn't occurred to me partially again because, uh, you know, I, I just have less of a connection with a lot of these characters than you do, having not seen as much of Rebels. So... I kind of almost everybody's like new to me and and I have a harder time telling like who's a familiar character versus who's a new face. And so I see him and it plays to me just as, oh, yeah, sure. Here's some other guy. And uh, it's another guy with a lightsaber or whatever. But it would certainly be interesting if uh, Ezra Bridger was under there. Right. That's what I had said. I (laughs) am hoping it's not true. I'm, I'm right. really hoping it's not true. But I mean, I feel like if you've got, hey, this character we know has missing. And last time he was seen, he was with some really bad Empire guys. And hey, here's this guy with a mask who we yeah. don't know who he is. And he's force sensitive. So I don't know. I'm I, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm hopeful I'm wrong. But I would not. That's my that's my theory. I kind of want you to be right. I think that would be that would be like really intense and kind of heavy stuff. We certainly know that Ezra is going to be in this show and is going right. to pop back. You wouldn't cast him in live action and drop all these seeds of him in every single episode if he wasn't coming back in some way. Um, so that would that would certainly be a dark way to do it. OK, before we wrap up this episode, we have to talk about one of the most insane moments, which is Ahsoka climbing out onto the wing of her ship in a spacesuit and deflecting ship blaster fire with her lightsabers <laughs> this is and this was one of those scenes i was watching it and i was like wow are we really okay and but it was kind of awesome f- i was yeah. kind of into it like i don't know it could have been silly but like i kind of i kind of dug it i love her custom fitted spacesuit to fit her head tails kind of into that <laughs> kind of great yeah this was one of those things where i was just like man star wars you don't yeah. get this in anything else right god bless star wars it's kind of something out of like that old video game, The Force Unleashed, that was yeah. all kind of about using the Force and lightsabers for just the craziest possible things that were, uh, you know, at such even a larger scale than we'd seen in the movies. Yeah, that's fun. And, and you know, you mentioning the custom spacesuit to fit her, her her head tails. I do really just kind of enjoy at a basic level the fact that two out of the three of the main characters of this show are very non-human and, and not just because they're wearing a Mandalorian suit, but are actual aliens. And I think the costumes look pretty good. And that's a well-needed um, diversity, not diversification, but just like opening up the world of, of Star Wars. We know it's not just humans. So why should every you know main character be a human? And both these characters obviously come out of the animated shows where it's a lot easier to like draw and animate these aliens. Um, and I think they've done a good job translating them. I think if we're wrapping up, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say is I think it's very interesting how Thrawn is referred to in this show so far, that he keeps being described as in exile, 
even though like that's not the word I would use to be like you got tackled into a portal or whatever. (laughs) And so I think it is kind of walking. Obviously, as much as the Filoni shows have kind of taken ownership of Thrawn, he is not their creation in the way that Ahsoka is. He comes out of the Timothy Zahn novels, the original, uh, and Zahn has been writing more books about him in recent years, um, which were the original expanded universe Star Wars. The beginning of everything is the Thrawn trilogy. And so I do almost get this sense that as much as the show is kind of this victory lap for fans of Rebels and Clone Wars, if you're just coming in as someone who's read the Zen novels or knows about Thrawn and wants to see him in live action, I almost wonder if the weird way of referring to... Because that's... The, exile is what Thrawn... Is how I would describe what Thrawn was in in those novels, that he's out in the far reaches. You know, he was working for the Empire or whatever, but he was kind of not in the Imperial core. So I thought that was kind of interesting that like, oh, if somebody's coming in and and hasn't seen the Rebels finale, but knows Thrawn wants to see Thrawn, the wording plays to them as well. Um, Did you guys talk on last week about the idea that there is more than one galaxy? uh, It's pretty wild, right? Like, I'm very curious about this and I'm curious to see how that's played out, like what what that looks like. Because, I mean, the very first weirds we ever see on screen, it's a galaxy far, far away. Exactly. Um, and so the idea that there are other galaxies is makes sense. I'm curious right. what that looks like. I'm curious whether we'll be getting any sort of, I think at one point they say like across space and time. I'm wondering yes. if we're, we're going to get some I time travel elements. Yeah. Multiverse, dare I say it? That's the other thing I'm wondering about because as we know, multiverse is very hot right now. Yes, much to your chagrin. I know. I'm I'm done with multiverses. Just let the multiverse die. Kill it if you have yeah. to. There's great <laughs> multiverse stories. Some of my favorite stories, like Spider-Verse, everything Absolutely. everywhere all at once. Absolutely. It would be a weird thing to fit into, into Star, Star Wars, Wars, which as you right? said, is supposed to be kind of a map of the galaxy. And you even kind of, you know, if, if you grew up reading those, those great Star Wars source books and stuff, they yeah. kind of have a map of the galaxy where like Corellia's over here and Coruscant's over here. And, and even when on they, the outer rim and like, you know, and there's e- exactly. And there's the outer rim and references to the so-called unknown regions, which previously is where Thrawn was supposed to have been during the events of the original trilogy. I had always just assumed was like kind of, a farther reach of the galaxy, not like outside the galaxy. Um, and I will leave by dropping, uh, you know, I'll wrap by dropping a thing I would love to see, which is, of course, when they are on the planet. The, the, I think this was in episode two, where they first are talking about space and time and other galaxies and stuff and showing the map of different galaxies. Balin asks, this place was built by the Jedi, right? Like, it seems so magical and high tech. And Morgan says... Something like, no, it was built by an older civilization. So, you know, I would just love if we are setting up pieces for eventually doing the Yuzan Vong, who <laughs> would be, that would be, that would be like for you guys, like feeling the victory lap of rebels and coming into Ahsoka, some kind of show about the Yuzan Vong, that would feel like my victory lap of Star Wars. Uh, expanded universe, the new Jedi Order books I was so into as a kid. Um, And also, they are a solution to the thing I'm talking about, because they are an enemy and they are a foe that are outside the Force and are not the Empire and have like a different way of being and fighting and thinking that I always thought was so interesting about those books. Um, 
the concept of the Yuuzhan Vong, which I think is maybe a little Orientalist in some ways, could probably be uh, cleaned up or or updated for the modern age. But um, you know, my 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 ears and eyes definitely perked up at that reference. Maybe we'll find it. Maybe that reference will be explained as something else. Maybe it'll just hang out there as an indicator of the Star Wars galaxy galaxies being uh bigger than we know but i also bring that up because i think there's also a there's a nod in the canon somewhere for some reason this is in my head that when thrawn was exploring the unknown regions for palpatine he either encountered the yuuzhan vong or kind of like almost did because that's where they come from is like from far away in the outer reaches of the galaxy so that's something i would love to see at some point it might be the big red button that means they've run out of other ideas um (laughs) but that's what intrigues me about these references to other galaxies, ancient civilizations we haven't heard of before. That's where my mind goes first. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens when we go through that hyperspace cannon and what's on yes. the other side. <laughs> I'm like, they've been setting it up for the past three episodes, and I'm like, all right, I'm I'm ready to go. I want to see where this is going. I, I want I want some reveals. Um, you know, because a lot of this episode was sort of. You know, the characters on each side is sort of learning what the audience already knows, kind of what the exactly. what what the other side is up to. So I'm very curious to get some some interesting reveals and see where things or are just see going. how the show goes, whatever its next stage is. Because here we are, there's eight episodes planned, I believe, and we've we're now three episodes. We're almost halfway through, and the operating premise, at least at the beginning of the show, is finding Thrawn and Ezra, and I would hope that that does not take seven episodes to do. You know, I assume in the next episode, we're we're hopefully finally going to get a lightsaber battle between Balin and Ahsoka. Now that he's hunting for them, that'll be fun. But it would be cool if, you know, in episode five or so is when we get the Lars Mikkelsen thrown back and then it's on to whatever the next stage of the of the story is. I'm so excited for Lars Mikkelsen Thrawn. He looks so menacing and so ridiculous. And I just I'm I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, you and I were talking about Sherlock. I always thought he was great in his so good. Uh, Sherlock oh, appearance. Incredible. Uh, one of the highlight one of the highlights of the weird later seasons. Yeah, of not Sherlock. not a good season, but a great villain. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh yeah, that's our that's our recap of episode three. Um, we are going to take a super quick break, but when we come back, you can hear my interview with Diana Lee Inasanto, who plays the very mysterious Morgan Elsbeth. We recorded this for my Ahsoka cover story right before the start of the SAG After Strike, and you can listen to it coming right up. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. I'm I'm so excited to get to speak to you a little bit about Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Kind of take me back to the beginning with this show. I mean, at what point did they tell you this this character you played in The Mandalorian like isn't a one-off? We want to bring you back for this new show that we're working on. Oh, gosh. Um, I think I started getting an understanding that this was going to happen probably like late into 2021. 
And ironically, of all things, I was actually with my family at Disneyland when I got the word from my management that, hey, we got contacted and it looks like they want you to come back. And I must have sounded like a mad woman because I I let out a scream in the middle of Disneyland and just broke out into tears, you know, because it's just such an amazing, amazing show. Um, and I cannot begin to tell you how much I love the cast and crew. I, I it really they they are all special people. And so to find out that they wanted me back, it just was an amazing honor. So, yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> how serendipitous, though, to, to be at Disneyland. Extremely serendipitous. And it's funny because I'm in France and I just got to visit uh Disneyland Paris. So it's kind of funny that I'm doing an interview in France. There must be something magical going on literally with Disney. I, 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 don't, I don't know how it is, but it just happens that way. <laughs> <laughs> funny how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've said that when um, you played this character for the Mandalorian, you said that you really didn't kind of know that much about her. Like you didn't even know that she had a name. Uh, no. What excited you most about kind of getting to dive a little bit deeper and find out a little bit more about who Morgan Elsbeth is? First of all, to be able to work with with Dave again and and John, oh my gosh, I, I I mean that's really what excited me. And you know, you have to remember, for me in my training, I had to kind of in the beginning kind of create and make up a backstory. But once I started filming Ahsoka and Dave was able to kind of get into her background more, I thought, oh good, I can now fill in all those blank areas, and yet you know still find I could create. And utilize what I initially brought into my role when I first auditioned. You know, I mean, I was looking at Julius Caesar or Catherine the Great, you know, people that were conquerors. And so I was able to kind of apply that to this character. And then Dave was wonderful and gracious about filling in those blanks for me. You know, I mean, he's just a magnificent storyteller. We were definitely on an interesting track here for sure. (laughs) That makes total sense. What can you tell me about kind of how she fits into Ahsoka? Ooh, ooh, okay. Let's see. What can I tell you? Um, I can definitely talk about her unswavering uh, allegiance to Thrawn for sure. I mean, um, she's definitely somebody who's probably very faithful to his causes and his ideals. And so that's one of the things I think I can share with people is, you know, again, her loyalty, you know, and then I'm, I'm excited because we are going to go into her backstory, her back history somewhat. And I know people have been trying to guess about, you know, what's her, what's her issue? What's her deal? (laughs) And um, I'm really happy that uh, we are definitely going to explore this in Ahsoka. And uh, it probably will make more sense as the show goes on for sure. I know we get to see a little bit of your action skills um, in The Mandalorian. (laughs) I mean, tell me a little bit about kind of the training you went through and figuring out how this character moves. Yeah. uh, Well, listen, it was really quite extraordinary because I guess even before I worked on Mandalorian, I I think John and Dave had this powwow, this this meeting of the minds. And I I think it was John that might have suggested to Dave, let's try to find somebody who's authentically a martial artist. So from there, I guess they both agreed, but hopefully somebody that could act as well. And so, you know, from what Dave had shared with me is that he went down the rabbit hole looking for a female martial artist. And it's just so extraordinary because Google led him to a photo of mine and, uh, you know, he, t- he clicked on my photo and it led him to this trailer to a movie I did called The Sensei, actually. 
And then he started investigating my my background and he found out who my father was and who my godfather was. And, you know, when you had your father being Dan and El Santo and your godfather being Bruce Lee, these are two big cheeses in the in the, in the martial arts world. I think that helped. And then, of course, uh, through my Aunt Lilia, who was an actress in the 1970s, you know, she was an Asian American actress. So I was I was happy that I had her training um, as my teacher. And she gave me sort of the bite of the industry. And, you know, it kind of just kind of worked its way out. And what I loved most about Dave is that he allowed me to express myself as a martial artist and bring in my talents, my natural talents. And um, anybody who looks at my background knows that the philosophy that surrounds really my walk is called Jeet Kune Do, which is what Bruce Lee coined, and it's really about finding your expression. So I've trained in a multitude of martial arts. So it was very easy to kind of play around, almost like you have a palette of different watercolors before you and create this painting. And we had an extraordinary fight choreographer named Ming. And um, it was incredible that I got to, to finally work with Ming on something and, and just come together and, and put something, I think, glorious out there that has yet to be seen in the Star Wars universe. I imagine it's it's got to be so much fun to sort of figure out, okay, how can I kind of carve out my own little corner of this universe and kind of put my own stamp and, and bring my history and my abilities to, to this galaxy? Right, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And thank goodness from dad, I have a, a weapons background. You know, I mean, I've, I've learned how to work with swords and spears and all, you name it. In fact, it's kind of funny because when I was a little girl and I first saw Star Wars, um, it was when my father was having a martial arts, an international martial arts camp in Aspen, Colorado. And uh, in the evening, all the students, we all went to the theater to, to see Star Wars, right? And to have that experience of watching the audience and my father just got thrilled with it. And I remember um, after we saw Star Wars, he goes, you know, honey, I bet we could, you could do a, a double lightsaber. And he would train me in martial arts with these plastic, how can I say, they're like telescopic staffs in a way that were supposed to resemble a lightsaber. And it's just the irony that he was training me with these and he would come at me with double staff plastic lightsabers. And who knew that down the road, I would actually be doing this fight scene with Rosario and uh, it's just it's just the irony, the synchronicity of it all. Maybe the force is really out there. Maybe it's real. <laughs> Who knows? Wait, that's amazing. So you like grew up learning how to fight with lightsabers, quote unquote. And now you, this is your career. You're in yeah, the Star Wars yeah, galaxy. Exactly. He just thought, oh, this is a fun way to train my daughter in martial arts. I'll get these plastic lightsabers from Toys R Us and voila. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And yeah, I'm curious, you know, like the the scale of these shows is is so big and so impressive. And I I, I talked to a lot of actors about the amazing um like production design and the sets. Yeah. Was was did you have a day where you like really geeked out and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm in I'm in Star Wars? Oh yeah, day one when I'm visiting. Like the first time I, I was told I was gonna meet with a stunt team, and instead it was uh John Favreau was so gracious to kind of meet me in the lobby. And I'm already a fan of John's, right? Because, uh, you know, he, he had me at Swingers. His, you know, I, I, he was such an inspiration to me as an actor who also was a writer and creator. And he was so gracious to give me this amazing tour. And um, he brought me to the volume first. And I was so overwhelmed because I, I use the analogies that it looks like NASA to me. You have all these people lined up. They're seated in front of their monitors. 
And they're just all together in unison creating the volume to have all these different looks. And it was just remarkable, just remarkable. And uh, I, I was speechless, to be honest with you. And in that, in that moment, I was you know, introduced to Dave Filoni. And it so happened that Robert Rodriguez was there that day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I think I'm having an out-of-body experience or, uh, you know, maybe uh, some sort of alternate, you know, uni- you know, universe that I'm now just walked into, you know, just meeting everybody. And then that's where Dave, you know, I was introduced and he explained how he found me, which is through Google, which is weird. <laughs> Oh, I love that. And tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what felt different about, you know, working on Ahsoka versus working on the Mandalorian? What felt different? That's a great question. I will tell you one thing, the fight scene for sure. Cause we had about 17 hours to kick out that fight scene between Rosario and I, whereas with uh, this time around, it, it's definitely going to the days we had days added. Let's just say, let's just say that there were days added to that fight scene. So it's a, it's a long involved fight scene. It's pretty intense. And then there's other moments too. I think all of us have, you know, these uh, it, there's so much action involved in this and I don't want to say too much, but there is some incredible moments, you know, definitely between all of us, you know, for sure. Um, I know you can't talk about specifics, but did you like, are there any particular skills you picked up or or any particular stunts you did that you were really proud of on, on this show? Yeah. Getting a really good masseuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just getting a really good masseuse. I can't say too much, but there was definitely, um, you know, I think a lot of what I did before in Mandalorian, it definitely served me well in Ahsoka. That's pretty much what I can tell you right now. Fair enough. Absolutely. I also wanted to ask about uh, Ray Stevenson, who who sadly passed away yeah. this year. Um, yeah. Do you have any fond memories of of working with him or, or getting to know him? You know, through the process of this show. Yeah, um, I will say this: it was real heartbreaking for for me to hear about Ray's passing. We spent a lot of a lot of you know months together, and we were like a family. And uh, you know, I, I remember Ivana was one of the first people I spoke with, and we were both just in tears, you know, because we were like a family, you know, when you spend that many hours on a set, um, you know, you, you start to just get close. And I looked at Ray as a mentor and I'm sure Ivana can tell you the same thing. He was just such an extraordinary human being and so gracious. And, you know, I, I, I thought to myself later on, I thought, well, if I'm feeling this heartbroken, I cannot, even think about how heartbroken it must be for, for people who've known him for years. But one thing I, I, I can definitely say is, you know, Ray really was so excited for this character to be uh, released into the world. And I know he just felt so happy that the fans were going to experience this particular side and universe of Star Wars, of Ahsoka. And uh, he's an incredible talent. And I'm trying not to cry when I think about this. But, you know, I mean, I think we were all excited to just, you know, come out in this together. And um, he's going to be missed. I know everyone in the cast and, and the crew and all the producers, we just we just loved Ray. I mean, he was just an extraordinary, kind human being. And the fans are just going to love his character. It really is just this extraordinary 
character. I, I used to call him poetry in motion on the sets, you know, he, he really was, he was walking poetry. And yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful question you're asking because um, I know we're going to be missing Ray and I know I'm going to be thinking about him when, when we're watching these episodes, you know, seeing his final work. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it seems like a, a, a set that really, you guys really bonded and, and really kind of came together to make something special. It sounds like. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, think about it. We were all together for months, months on this set. And um, even, even when we weren't on the sets, we would get together, you know, afterwards, you know, and really bond, you know, because you have to remember too, we were coming out of COVID, you know, and there were still certain restrictions and protocols, you know, that we all had to abide by to keep everybody safe, you know? So, you know, it, it, you kind of create this, in a way, kind of a magical bubble. And we all talked about our, our family and our friends that we missed. And we were definitely excited about um, the fans. You know, we we're aware how positive the fans are. And so we all just wanted to do an incredible job. You know, I look at somebody like Rosario. Uh, Rosario is just to me like the team captain, you know, I call her the great spirit because every single time she's on that set, I don't know what it is, but she just knows how to lift us up. And um, I always say we all get happy attacks when Rosario's around. <laughs> you know, she sings, she dances. They all sing and dance on the set when we're, you know, getting ready for the next uh, scene, you know. And uh, yeah, it, it just, and I'm not saying this for lip service. I'm really serious. I have never been on a more positive set than Ahsoka. It's just incredible. With the exception of Mandalorian, because that was also very positive. <laughs> they're kind of one in the same. Yeah, they want, they're one in the same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Our thanks to Diana Lee and Asanto for joining us and our thanks to you for listening. If you like listening each week, please follow and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. That's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly. We're at Devin Kogan and at Dalton Ross. And our co-host this week is Christian at CM Holub. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Chanel Johnson. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.